Thanks for listening to the RamNation.com podcast. Before we begin, let me tell you about Peterson Toyota. They're the largest dealership in northern Colorado, and they've been doing it for 50 years. They have the best selection at the best prices, and their staff will help you find the car or truck that is right for you. Stop in and ask for my man, General Manager Mike Kroos, who is a CSU alum, diehard fan, and a great partner to RamNation.com. He and his top-notch staff will take care of you. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, please give Peterson Toyota first shot at your business. Oh, and by the way, we recorded this podcast just a couple hours prior to Friday night's heartbreaking loss to Nevada, so we do talk about scenarios leading into that game, but 99% of the content is still very relevant, and we asked pretty much every question that you all asked on the Ram Nation message boards, got that answered, uh, so it's going to be well worth your time to give it a listen. Didn't do any editing on this episode, no music, no bells and whistles, nothing. Just wanted to get this out to you as fast as possible. Just a great discussion. So sit back, enjoy the show. Go Rams. Welcome, everybody, to Ram Nation Radio. We have got a special guest with us tonight, CSU Director of Athletics, Joe Parker, who we will welcome here in a second. Uh, This show today is brought to you by Mighty River Brewing Company. Stop in to try any of their dozen home-crafted beers on tap or pick up four packs or growlers to go. And it's also brought to you by Ginger and Baker, who I think is one of the most spectacular places in all of Fort Collins for food, drinks, not to mention their bakery, cafe, teaching kitchen, events. Great place to go on a date night. If you need a night out, that's a perfect choice, as is Mighty River Brewing Company. These are two great supporters of CSU and RamNation.com. Let's support them. So we are recording this podcast uh, here Friday night, just a few hours prior to the big CSU versus Nevada regular season finale. The Rams have set a school record for most conference wins in a season at 14 and are currently tied in first with San Diego State at 14 and three. Should the Rams win tonight against Nevada, who is a well-coached team, uh, Steve Alford, a very talented team who plays well at home, uh, the Rams would finish at 15 and three heading into the conference tournament next week. And despite having more wins and an equal amount of losses uh, and splitting the series with San Diego State, uh, the Rams would somehow be dropped to second place behind San Diego State due to the Mountain West decision to award them with two free forfeit wins from their canceled series with New Mexico. And I know by the time many of you listen to this podcast, uh, the CSU Nevada outcome will probably already be decided. You know, if you're listening sometime during the weekend or early next week, you know, obviously the outcome of this game, CSU has to win that for this truly to be an issue. Um, although the, just the crux behind it, just the decision-making still makes you scratch your head. But, but nonetheless, we're going to ask Joe about this, Joe Parker, ask him his thoughts on how the Mountain West handled this and a bunch of other things. It's going to be a great listen. So hope you sit back and, and enjoy. Uh, should CSU lose the game, they would potentially drop to the number three seed. If I understand this correctly, Utah State is currently in third and they play at Fresno State Saturday, should they win that game, they would have an equal record to CSU. And I believe after head-to-head being the first tiebreaker, the second tiebreaker, uh, because CSU and Utah State split that series, then it would go to the wins versus the next highest seeded team in the conference, which is San Diego State, and Utah State swept them. So that tells me that they would be the official number two seed, bumping CSU to the three seed in the Mountain West tournament. The implication there is, while I think CSU can survive a loss to Nevada in terms of the NCAA bubble, it would probably be tough to survive a loss in the regular season finale and then a first-round loss in the Mountain West tournament. So you better at least go in there and win one 
and probably two tourney games to make to to feel very comfortable about getting into the, the NCAA tournament. We've all seen the committee screw CSU before, and uh, you don't want to leave that to chance. So, uh, in that quarterfinal game, you're probably going to play. You know, the standings still could shake up. There's there's games, uh, our game tonight, and the couple games tomorrow. Uh, but you're probably going to end up playing either UNLV, Fresno State, or Wyoming. Those are the mo three most likely, I think, candidates. Um, and each would be a challenge. You probably look at Fresno State as the team you'd like to play most, <laughs> uh, but they're playing very good basketball right now. They just uh, knocked off Boise State and probably pushed them off the bubble. Uh, and then if you face UNLV or Wyoming, you're facing the prospect of beating UNLV for a third time this season, and it would be on their home court. Uh, they're talented. They gave CSU two tough games at Moby at the beginning of the conference season. Uh, so that is not easy. Or if you're facing Wyoming, you're, you're, you'd have to beat your most hated rival for the third time this year. Uh, and we know how that prospect turned out last year in the conference tournament. So needless to say, this Nevada game is big. You win it, I think you're in good shape. All right, Jill Parker is about to hit the six-year mark uh, as director of athletics at CSU. He came from Texas Tech, where he was deputy athletics director for four years, also served as senior associate athletic director at the University of Michigan, University of Oklahoma, Washington State, University of Texas. So uh, what a great resume he's got at some of the best athletic departments in the country, yet uh, I bet none of the background experience could have possibly prepared him for what he faced this year. <laughs> this has got to be a pretty exceptional year. Joe, is that accurate? You hanging uh, in there? Yeah, you know, I mean, yes. I mean, but but that's, you know, none of us have gone through this, right? So it's it's all new territory. It's it's uh, a, an entirely new experience for all of us trying to find our way forward through a global pandemic. But, you know, proud of the way our team responded. When I say that, our, our administrative team and, and uh, the people have kind of constructed, you know, the return to campus plan for athletics. And, and uh, it's been a real joy to see our students practicing and competing and, and having success. You know, there, we're, we're seeing a lot of great success uh, here on the, the hardwood with both uh, the women's teams about to play here in an hour or so, right? Uh, yep. Men's team is playing in a few hours. Um, and fans, us, us fans have talked about this ad nauseum. This, we have a lot to ask you, but we'll start here with basketball. And, I'm sure you've been asked about this and have touched on it, but we're all up in arms, you know, curious to get your feelings on how the Mountain West handled the forfeits of for San Diego state in determining the Mountain West regular season champ. I know the Rams have to beat Nevada tonight for us to be a, a true gripe uh, to really truly get mad about it. But uh, you know, the Rams would finish at 15 and three San Diego state would finish at 14 and three, but the Aztecs with two forfeits there would be given the regular season title. Um, not due to any positive COVID test, uh, but you could certainly deduce that their decision to not play those games against San Diego State would not have happened in a non-COVID year. I mean, they've been playing away from home for a couple months. Um, a lot of COVID-related issues behind them not playing. So do you know what went into the Mountain West decision? Uh, who votes on that stuff? What kind of say did you have in it? What kind of, you know, beef did you have with everybody on that whole thing? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's created a lot of unhappiness for me, um, you know, but, but having said that, it's, you know, you, you know, it's been a challenging year, right? I mean, there's been a lot of uh, new, uh, new variables that we've had to adjust to, um, you know, but, but I'm one of 11 voices when it comes to decisions related to basketball. And, um, you know, we set on a, a model of a 20-game conference schedule before the start of the season. We determined that uh, conference winning percentage was going to be how we would award the title and also the seeding 
uh, positions for the, the conference tournament. Um, you know, we decided what, uh, what we would do when a team couldn't respond because of COVID issues. And then, you know, you, you make some choices and adjustments on the fly. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's the one thing where, you know, we made the decision uh, related to, to San Diego State and New Mexico's games that would have been that first week of February. And, you know, you, you just don't know the unintended consequences of decisions until things start to evolve and unfold. And, and when I realized that, you know, we were, we were having an incredible, you know, having an incredible season, you know, could likely uh, win out, could play more games than San Diego State and win more games than San Diego State. I raised my hand and I said, um, I think we need to revisit a prior decision and give some attention um, to, to something that I think will not be understood by certainly Ram fans, but, but probably a lot of people that follow college basketball. And um, there just wasn't any interest on the part of my peer group really to, to back the train up and, and think things through. Um, you know, I, I think from some of those people's perspective, they felt like a decision had been made and, and we needed to just kind of live on it. We didn't vote, um, but there just wasn't enough critical momentum um, in the conversation to, to want to, you know, consider the impacts on Colorado State. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm still unhappy. Um, you know, I, I was on a call yesterday with the Mountain West and one of my, my colleagues called me today and said, were you okay? And, and quite frankly, I'm not, you know, but, but that's the way it goes. And, um, you know, there's not always fairness in this world. And our team is playing as well as any, any team in our conference right now. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we've had an incredible and amazing season and, and you're right. I mean, we, we've got to win tonight to keep that thought and conversation going. So, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get too out over my skis on, on how I feel, but I, you know, I, I, I saw what was coming and I wanted our, our league to have a conversation to make sure that we understood what that was going to mean. And if we win, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, you know, we, we got some things to think about and how we want to position and posture ourselves and, and, uh, you know, Nico's done a great job and I wanted to do everything I can to reward him and, and this team for the incredible effort that they put forth this year. It, what's confusing to me is, sure, if you want to use those, that winning percentage to determine seating in the conference tournament, um, if you want to award the forfeits, allow those to factor in, fine. But under the circumstances in this year of all years, who would have possibly complained with like a co-champion designation? I mean, it's, it seems very logical and no one would possibly get angry by that. It, it appeases whoever qualified to be a co-champ. I just don't understand why that was never a possibility with the conference. Yeah. I mean, we never got that far into discussion to even explore that. So, you know, it, it, you know, it, it is what it is. And, and um, you know, but as I said, you know, we, you know, win tonight and then we can keep the conversation going. <clears throat> Let me ask you this about um, also in you can't imagine the challenge that the conference had in, in trying to be fair and trying to reschedule games and deal with all the forfeits. But do you think that the scheduling down the stretch for both men's and women's programs were fair? Um, you know, the league scheduled two CSU games for a women's team 
against New Mexico at the end of this week. They played last night and lost. Uh, they're playing tonight uh, shortly after we will probably still be going by the time that, that they tip off. Um, and it, that, that really gives neither of those teams any time to prepare for the conference tournament, which begins Sunday for them, right? Do the women begin on Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, no. um, they'll, they'll, they'll play Monday. Sorry. The women, our, play, our one will play Monday. Yeah. And then, um, but you've got teams like New Mexico and Boise uh, who this past week just flat out opted not to play each other because they thought the schedules were too condensed. And, you know, me and I, we're scrambling. I think we were supposed to play. I think we agreed to play New Mexico and Vegas. Uh, and then that got shifted at the last minute when New Mexico, their governor said that we'll allow competition in the state now. And so you had to probably spend some money to, to shift gears and go play them in Albuquerque. So a lot of things that, Obviously, it's unprecedented, and there's a lot of challenges, but I don't know. Did, were you happy with the fairness of and no. the equability of the of, – no. Joel, Joel, my unhappiness began with the rescheduled games for all the reasons that you've just kind of covered. I mean, we um, – our teams, both of our teams were expected – are expected to play four games in seven days, and I don't think um, there's any other team in the league that's faced with the same journey forward, um, you know, and then – and then, you know, you, you look at Nevada. I mean, they've had five days off to prepare and, and uh, scheme for our game tonight because they lost San Jose because of COVID reasons. So, you know, there, there just isn't much fairness and equity. But, but um, you know, I, I, I talked to the conference staff about that when we, when we got those rescheduled games. Um, there was a lot of dialogue leading up to, the, the, you know, the, the issue then that we just kind of covered as it related to, you know, the – the uh, San Diego State being awarded the title last night after their their game or Wednesday night after their game, um, so you know I just you know part of me wants you know I, you know I don't I'm not interested in being graceful any longer <laughs> related to this stuff. So um, you know I, I just you know disappointed, um, but also acknowledge that you know this is a year like any unlike any other year, and hopefully we never experience this again. You know we we get back to normal uh, game scheduling and, and you play the games and there's an expectation that you show up and play those games. I mean, you dial it back to football, you know, I mean, we, we got four games in and only one of them was only one of the missed games out of the four was, was, you know, related to COVID on our team. And then you get to Utah state, you know, which was going to be our final home game of the season. And, you know, our kids are eager to play, you know, they want more, more opportunity to play at game speed and, and develop in that environment. And, uh, you know, Utah State, you know, runs into the week that they had and, and their kids tap out, you know, for non-COVID reasons. And, it, you know, it's just been, you know, a, a tough year. And, but, you know, having said all that, you know, I'm really proud of the way that our students have responded in every one of these cases, whether it be women's basketball, men's basketball, football, the other programs. I mean, they, they want to play. They wanted to have something out of this year. You know, we, we did something that I don't think any other school in the country did when we swept our rosters clean before the start of the fall semester and did the same thing between, um, you know, fall and, and spring semesters. We, we swept the rosters clean. We gave students adequate time to make informed decisions with information related to our management of COVID. And then they had to affirmatively opt in. And we had over 97% of our students say they wanted to be a part of this. And, um, you know, proud of them and want to do everything I can, you know, within the scope of my role here at the university to, to keep teams active and, and keep them developing and growing and, and uh, experiencing what they came here to do. And that is, 
uh, you know, play play on a on a Division One team and and develop relationships with our coaches and and their fellow teammates. Yeah, it is impressive how uh, everyone has adapted, jumped in, competed, and dealt with all of the the issues this year. And your staff and your coaches and your student athletes included. So, um, on a kind of related note. Um, when I look at all the extra caution that programs have had to take this year due to COVID and CSU especially, uh, I think we've been as strict as anyone. Um, then you look at what's going on with the women's team. What are they spending 11 out of 12 days on the road playing basketball? Um, when we've got so many health and safety concerns across the country and in our own university, I mean, are you perplexed by the fact that we've got our students going all over the country and s spending 11 out of 12 days on the road? Is, is that a concern you? <laughs> what do you, how do you, how do you look at that? No, I mean, you know, the, the protocols are managed tightly, whether they're here in town or whether they're, you know, um, you know, on location somewhere else, you know, when they, when they get to Vegas, uh, both of our teams, you know, there, there's a lot of expectation on how they manage um, themselves while they're there. Um, you know, the conference made decisions to, to, you know, hopefully, you know, decrease the risk of viral spread. Um, you know, we're testing, uh, you know, the testing protocols have been huge. All the other things that are layered in to manage this. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're at any greater risk to be um, here in Fort Collins or, or, you know, living in a hotel in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, the fact that there's, you know, a virtual learning option for all of our students, you know, makes, makes that decision a lot easier. So it's, it's not having any negative impacts on their academics, you know, and, and as long as we can manage that, which, you know, is the most important aspect of, of their life here on campus with us, then, you know, I'm comfortable with it. And then, you know, if, if, if both of our teams get the good fortune to advance to postseason play beyond the conference tournaments, um, you know, the protocols get ratcheted up even to another level, you know, with the NCAA and the way that they're handling things. And, and so I don't, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, you can grab a doorknob or walk by someone that may, may be COVID positive and, and, you know, see the virus transmitted. But, but I also know that, um, you know, we're doing everything possible to, to make sure that we're, we're managing it well um, and, and handling things appropriately. And so I'm, I'm confident that it will, We'll do it right, whatever whatever's presented, and we'll adjust to what's ever in front of us, and 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 always look first and foremost to the health and well-being of our students. This next question: um, Who ultimately determines, or did determine, that we should not have any fans during the spring semester here? You know, you've got the Rockies saying they're going to allow twelve thousand plus fans in. Nuggets are going to start allowing fans in. Wyoming just up the road had had some fans this year. Um, you got some other teams in the league that are having fans. What is the reasoning behind us not being able to figure out a way to at least allow like family in, in to Moby Arena, um, maybe some students um, while remaining socially distant in like an 8,500 seat arena? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have the ultimate responsibility for managing, you know, uh, a tier one research in institution of 33,000 students and, you know, thousands of employees in a community of 160,000 people. Um, you know, I mean, uh, President McConnell organized the PPT, which is a pandemic preparedness team that really makes all those decisions under her oversight. Um, you know, I, I think when they got to the point 
to evaluate, you know, what we were going to do in the spring as it related to fans. They just decided to uh, stay with kind of the, the status quo of the institution. Um, you know, obviously uh, in Larimer County, there's other, other organizations that are permitting, you know, limited restricted fans. Um, I think what, what it came down to in the final decision is, is just sort of the equity across campus of the, the you know, myriad of user groups and student activities that, that would take, be taking place in an ordinary year and whether a decision to allow fans in venue or at you know, outdoor events in the spring made sense. There's still no uh, guests permitted on campus um, unless it's been pre-approved by the PPT. So, I, you know, I, I think in many ways we probably could have, you know, managed the logistics of, of, of it, but when they took a look at resources and uh, potential impacts, um, you know, I think they just decided to keep a pause on, on fans and, and we've accepted that decision. Um, you know, we advocated for our student athletes and, and particularly their families and, uh, you know, tried to, tried to seek a different outcome, but, um, you know, I, I respect the decision that's been made. And since it's been made, my focus is on completing the, the semester successfully with competition and practice. And then, you know, when we turn the page and start looking forward to fall of 21, you know, we're going to do everything possible to make sure that we're at a position where we can, you know, host fans uh, at Canvas Stadium and be prepared to do the same in Moby Arena and for all, all of our other programs. You know, we, 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 we've got to get back to that, you know, level of activity. You know, this, this year, you know, we haven't even talked about the financial impacts on the department, um, uh, but, but then, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a community, as you know, of people who care about Ram athletics, um, that want to be a part of CSU through the experience of our athletic teams. And, and uh, you know, I think everyone on campus, President McConnell, PPT included, wants to make sure that whatever, whatever this is, it gets limited just simply to one academic year. Mm -hmm. Yes, that kind of leads me into another question. Uh, are you actively working with the PPT, Larimer County, whatever, on plans for the fall? Or did you, you're not there yet. Do you have to, you know, do you wait another couple months, see where we're at? Um, we're, we're, we're there. Um, we, every Friday morning from 9 to 10, we have a meeting with the PPT, and that, that also is inclusive of representation from Larimer County. And we, we started the, you know, the conversation really three or four weeks ago about, about you know, what we want to accomplish, not only in the fall, but this summer, really even starting with you know, spring break. You know, the university's stepping away to virtual learning for the final two weeks of the semester and then a week of finals. And that's, um, for some of our programs, that's, that's really important time to you know, continue the development process and preparation for an upcoming academic year. And so we're, we're fully prepared to kind of keep operations moving. Um, you know, but we, we have to be mindful of, of all the protocols, you know, you know, when, when we can physically distancing, you know, we've got a really robust testing program. Um, you know, Terry DeZeo, I don't, I don't know. You, you guys know Terry, right? I mean, I know who he is. I haven't had any interaction with him. Hey, Joel, he is, he has been an amazing resource for, for the university, uh, for the department, um, for, for really for the Mountain West Conference, even on a national level. Terry is an absolute thought leader who has absorbed every bit of information that he possibly can about uh, COVID-19 and how to successfully navigate um, 
sports environments. Um, you know, he, he's, he's just an incredible resource. And I, you know, without him, I, I think, you know, we, we'd, we'd have a lot of problems, a lot of concerns, but with him, um, I think we built the best practices model in every way on, um, you know, COVID mitigation and COVID care. So do you, do you have an idea when decisions might be made on the fall? Um, in particular? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're, you know, we just announced our football schedule today. Um, you know, I think from an athletic video, perspective. Video is great, by the way. Yeah, how about that? Did you have some Kleenex close to you, Joel? <laughs> you guys do a good job with that stuff. Really. Yeah, I tell you what, you know, we, we've got a ton of talent in our department. Um, you know, Ben Brun and that team and Reno Boyd and, and Kyle Neves, you know, they, they, they came up with a concept and Chris Ferris and, and boy, the execution was phenomenal, you know, with, with uh, you know, people that have been on the front lines of this from the very beginning. Uh, but, um, you know, so, I mean, right now, I mean, from, from our perspective in athletics, we're, we're, we're full steam ahead. We're planning for fans, you know, we've renewed football season tickets. We're selling football season tickets. We are, uh, you know, you know, but we'll, we'll do what we're permitted to do, right? I don't know, I don't have a crystal ball to tell exactly where, you know, people will be with case counts and what public health will tell us to do. But, you know, the vaccine seems to be uh, accelerating in its distribution. Um, you know, that's an important piece of it. You know, right now case counts are, are coming down uh, in Larimer County and throughout the state. So, you know, I, I think, you know, hopefully we reach that point where, where someone will declare that there's herd immunity, you know, either people at the younger end of the age spectrum have had it and recovered or, and all the older people that, that would be of the greatest concerns have had access to the vac vaccine and, and they've taken advantage of that. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm not yielding, you know, and I had the same attitude last summer. I mean, I fully expected when we walked off campus, I think it was on, on March 18th, I told our staff, I said, I'm saving a little, little extra money every month because I'm going to host a happy hour for our staff on the New Belgium porch in August when we're ready to kick the football season off. So um, I, you know, we, it, it just, I can't fathom doing this for another year. I mean, it just, you know, it, it you know, it, it's had so many, unin, you know, I mean, we, we won't know the impacts for years about some of the decisions that, that, that we've had to make or, or that we have made. So, um, you know, we, we got to claw our way back to normal operations and, and do whatever's required. You know, will we be in masks? I don't know. You know, will there be hand sanitizers throughout the state stadium? Will there, you know, hopefully there won't be, you know, any, any more restrictions on social or physical distancing, but, you know, you know, there may be a need to, to, you know, track information for contact tracing, who knows, but, but, uh, you know, we want to be right alongside some of the other sports organizations in our state that are preparing to open with crowds and, and build, you know, build upon their attendance. So, um, Joe, you kind of brought it up a bit earlier. There really is, a, there's not a playbook for what's happened over the last 12 months. Um, so how do you respond to what I feel is a lot of unfair criticism leveled at you, uh, 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 President McConnell, and the Mountain West about how everything's been handled? Yeah. You know, you know, Mike, I, I know what I signed up for, you know, and I, I, I I've got, um, you know, core values that I adhere to, you know, as a department, we've, we've thought about how we want to operate and, and how we want to lead. And, and I don't think we've made a, 
any compromise on, on what we do in, the, in that space. You know, our, our number one guiding principles, principle is student athletes first and foremost. You know, so we're, we're never gonna retreat on trying to create an environment where our student athletes are, are, are safe and, and have an ability to, to you know, compete and pursue what they wanna do. And, and you, know, I, I, you know, I mean, criticism is, is part of leadership. You know, I, I, you know I, I recognize that, I always have, whether it's a COVID year or non-COVID year, you know, people are always gonna second guess, question, um, feel like they've got information to make decisions or, or, or at least critique decisions. And, and I know we, we work with the best information possible uh, you know, we make decisions and if we need to modify, we modify, but, but, uh, you know, I love what I do. Um, I'm committed to, to our student athletes here at CSU and, and I hope people at least recognize the passion that I bring every day and the care that I bring every day to the experience for not only our students, but our fans. Um, so during football and basketball, you guys had multiple games canceled, obviously, because of COVID policies and our opponents' programs. It left us with some voids. Um, we didn't pick up any games. I think you guys were trying hard in – I don't know. I really don't know what happened in football or basketball, but I, I do believe you guys were trying to find some solutions in basketball recently that just didn't work out. What, what goes into that? What went into that process and those conversations about possible opponents and contests and – and the reasons that we ultimately did not find a, a suitor to play. Yeah. yeah. You want to talk football or you want to talk basketball or kind of blend the conversation uh, too? Yes. Yeah, I would love to hear both. If you got. Yeah. yeah. It, it, you know, I mean, there's really no magic to it. Um, you know, just like in, in scheduling with, with, uh, you know, a non COVID year, I mean, you, you leverage relationships, right. You know, I mean, I've, I've been doing what I've been doing for better than 25 years. I've, been at some great places, worked with some wonderful people, and those people are at those places now or moved to other other universities. And and so it it really begins with your Rolodex. Um, same thing with the coaching staff. So, you know, Coach Adazio's got, you know, uh, probably close to 40 years worth of relationships in, in Division One FBS football. Nico Medved has got, you know, similar, uh, you know, relationships. And so you just, you just start, you know, working with the people that you know and, and keeping conversations going and trying to expand those conversations. But, but uh, you know, th you know, th this is just different, you know, I mean, you know, you get a conversation going, it seems like it might be leading to something that could uh, be productive. And then, and then, you know, then, you know, ongoing concerns, what's ahead, um, you know, can we match COVID protocols? Uh, you know, can we manage the travel logistics? Can we, can we, you know, is there a mutual interest in playing, you know, all those things, you know, I, you know, I, I think I, I mentioned it uh, when I talked to Brady, Brady Hall this week on his radio show, yep. you know, I, I saw, I saw the social media posting, I oh, go play, you know, UNC's open, you know, North Carolina, you know, so let's go do that. Well, you know, first of all, you know, Bubba Cunningham and his basketball staff have to have an interest in playing us. And then, you know, you got to make sure that the COVID protocols match up and everyone feels comfortable with that. And then, you know, you got to select the actual date of, and time of play and how does that factor in with your TV partners and then travel logistics and cost of travel and, you know, and, and then, and then, you know, it, you know, I mean, I, I think it's minimal, but anytime you put a 
team on a plane and you send them somewhere, you know, there's risks. So, you know, would it have been nice to layer in a non-conference game? Absolutely. But what's ahead and, and what would have been the impacts if, if our team, you know, had to pause or shut down for what's ahead. So, you know, was it ideal to be idle for 21 days for both men and women's basketball? Absolutely not. But, but, you know, you run all the, all the trails down and, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You know, Nico was able to layer in a, an exhibition game, you know, so at least the team got to, to run at game speed and, you know, kind of move on the court at game speed with people other than themselves. They play at UNC? With uh, yeah, yeah. We couldn't, you know, NCAA doesn't allow us to, to mention or promote that before the, the actual um, exhibition scrimmage itself, but, but yes, we did. And, um, you know, so that, that was helpful, but, um, you know, you know, we, we had our 21 day pause, uh, the team's kind of resume play against uh, the Air Force with the Air Force series. You know, fortunately for the men, they won both of those games, the women uh, split, um, you know, and now, now we're, we're, we're back to resuming play and hopefully fulfill everything that's ahead of us, including the tournament next week and get selected to the NCAA and, and people won't be worried about what happened during that 21 day pause. Right. Well, one more question related to that. Um, you had, what was peculiar was that you, you saw San Diego State play CU and we couldn't figure out a way to, to get them to agree or us to agree, whatever the holdup was, to play a school at 60 miles down the road while San Diego State is playing them. What happened? We tried, I think we probably tried in football and basketball, right? So what, why couldn't we figure something out there? There has to be mutual agreement to play if you want to play, Joel. You know, it, it, um, you know I, I, I've got a great relationship with Rick George. That might upset people on the, who listen to the podcast. Um, you know, I, I like Rick. He, you know, I think he likes me. We, we, we work uh, well together, but, um, you know, it, sometimes things just don't work out, right? We can read between the lines, Joe. <laughs> um, all right, so shift gears a little bit. Uh, not my favorite topic, but I have to ask you. Um, so you and your department have been through the ringer this year, uh, not just with the COVID issues, but the COVID investigation, uh, then the investigation into mistreatments in the football program. Uh, there was like news report after news report from the Coloradoan. And then when the investigation was over and the report was released, you know, and you, you see the findings and there was some pretty scathing stuff in the news articles. Um, what came out of the report was very much less so. Um, you, Coach Adazio, and, and others were largely absolved a, lo a lot of the claims, but um, certainly there's some components that indicate some improvements need to be made. Did you think that the report was fair, the process was fair, and then after the findings come out, where do you go with that information and what do you do? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I want to be thoughtful about how I comment about this. Um, you know, first I will say there was criticism of the report. Um, you know, probably some people weren't happy with the outcome. Uh, some people questioned whether it was truly independent. Um, I will tell you that it was eight weeks of, of uh, probably the toughest time of my career. Um, you know, I, I know who I am as a leader. I know who the people I surrounded myself are, are, you know, who they are as people and, and what their expectations are and, and how they treat others. And, 
um, you know, it was challenging. So for people that say that want to suggest that it wasn't independent, that there was somehow department or, you know, institutional influence, you know, I, I would refute that uh, strongly because, um, it, you know, it, it just simply was an independent effort by an organization, a, a law firm that has built their reputation on, on their independence. And I was, I was, you know, on one level, very happy that, uh, that, you know, on the COVID piece, they had no finding and on the issues and concerns related to racial insensitivities, they, they made, you know, less than a handful of recommendations. But I also know that, that, you know, we, we didn't get it right for certain students, right? And certain staff members, you know, they felt, they felt, uh, you know, negatively impacted by, by, you know, some of the relationships that they've had. And, and that's, that's not right. And we've got to figure out ways to ensure that, you know, that, that, that isn't what's occurring. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think the university with uh, the recommendation from Hush Blackwell, you know, the principal recommendation was to create a, a mechanism for reporting outside of athletics is, is uh, you know, a, a great step. And um, President McConnell has already assembled that group. Um, they've, they've been meeting routinely to kind of structure, you know, how they want to, to you know, they're, they're not, they're not a, an entity that's going to review and adjudicate, but rather they're going to, they're going to accept the input. Um, they're going to make sure it gets to the right place and, and uh, be able to, you know, affirm that whatever the concern is, is going to be addressed by the appropriate authorities on campus or otherwise. Um, I, I think one of the greatest challenges that we faced is, um, you know, people demand a transparency level of 10, you know, so if it's a scale of one to 10, they want, they want to know everything. They want to know if some, a concern has been reported, how it's been handled, what the, what the actions were taken if, if they, if, you know, if there was a responsible party. And with most of this, because it's personnel related or it's associated with privacy of students, you know, we might be able to deliver a transparency level of three. And the gap is where, is where um, you know, I think people in leadership or, you know, the authority, so to speak, are, are questioned. And, and I will tell you, I, you know, I've been here, um, I'm in my sixth year. Um, you know, one of my cultural expectations for this department that I repeat routinely that I have since I've gotten here is never pass a problem. Um, I've seen that trip up organizations repeatedly over time. So, I mean, I, I, I have no concern with discovering a problem and addressing it. I mean, the, the fault or the harm comes in, in not addressing it. You know, we all make mistakes, right? And, and so, you know, I want to make it clear. Um, I've never not addressed anything that's come to my attention. And, um, but, but have we fully informed every party that might have an interest as to what happened and how that was managed and handled? No, um, when you're when you're in an environment where it's it's personnel or it's student privacy, would that be appropriate? Absolutely not. So, um, you know, it, it at this point it sort of it is what it is. Um, you know, I I uh, you know I'm, I'm sorry for people that felt that they you know had were negatively impacted. Um, you know, I, I I know a lot of those stories and those situations and. And, uh, you know, as I said, anytime there was a concern that was brought to me, it was addressed and, and uh, handled. Now, 
you know, do people want to dispute the outcome? Um, do people want to, you know, do they still feel like it was not addressed? And, and the tough thing is, is, you know, I mean, processes are there to sort of adjudicate fact and, and it, it's hard when you're managing emotion and, you know, addressing those things. And that's, that's not to diminish, you know, what people may or may not have experienced, but, but I can affirm that, you know, I feel comfortable with the way that um, the university, the department, myself, uh, the leadership team in athletics has managed every concern that's been brought to us. You and I have talked previously about the nature of former student athletes who feel disconnected to the athletic department. Um, but then, and this is a tough one for me because Anthony Hill was always one of my favorites and he still is. Um, he obviously felt wronged. Um, I heard, and Mike and I listened to his side of the story. I saw letters that you wrote to him, uh, which showed your side of the story, being fair with him through the whole process of coaching changes. And I'm sure you each probably felt some level of betrayal. I don't know, but um, he's not the only person who's, who's made allegations, other student athletes, trainers, coaches, staff, whatever spoke out against you in the athletic department. But I'm speaking more about, um, you know, you and I have had off the cuff conversations about other student athletes who just feel disconnected. Um, and just don't feel a part of it or don't, don't feel like they're being listened to. Um, what do you do about that? And how can, can fences be mended with those who feel wronged and, and former student athletes who don't feel connected or listened to? I hope so, Joel. You know, and, and I don't think that that uh, attitude is exclusive to CSU. Um, and, I, and I also don't think everyone, you know, I don't think it's, you know, certain people feel that way and we need to address it. Um, uh, and, and am I hopeful that we can uh, build strategies that, that make, you know, everyone feel absolutely welcomed for certain. Um, you know, we, we, you know, every year we try and we attempt to do that. You know, you and I have had a lot of discussion around that. You know, we, we've been criticized for not informing people of, of, you know, reunion programming and, and programs that provide access to tickets and, you know, almost every time we, we research, you know, and, and, you know, primary means of communication, all those things, rightly or wrongly, is email, you know, and I think I shared with you before, you know, we'll, we'll go back and someone will, you know, complain that they weren't informed and we'll, we'll go look and they uns, uns, unsubscribe to an email list. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know how to fix that, right? I mean, if someone decides that they don't want to get information from us and then they complain that they weren't informed, that's, that's not, you know, I mean, I, you know, I want to fix it, but, but, you know, I, I can't, that, that's can't a shared stupid, Joe. What's that? You can't fix stupid. Well, and I don't want to say that, but I, you know, I mean, I'll say it. you know, it works both ways, right? I mean, it's, 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 you know, I mean, it's, there has to be a willingness to, to, uh, you know, to, to come together. And, and I, you know, I, one thing I want to make clear is, you know, I, you know, I, I'm always, you know, my door is open. Um, I'm willing to talk and visit with anyone. Um, you know, I, I've, you know, I say that all the time and I'm, I'm, it, it's remarkable how infrequently someone will reach out and step through the door to have a conversation. So obviously an athletic department's not just football and men's basketball. Um, coming into this uh, 2021 school year, CSU led the Mountain West with 19 conference championships. Um, how do you handle 
when CSU fans say that the athletic department is a disaster uh, based on two, on two sports when we have produced so much winning uh, since you've been here, since, during your tenure? Yeah. Um, you know, Mike, I, I, I've recognized from the very beginning of my uh, administrative career and probably before that, winning is better than losing. That is, that is AD 101, right? Um, and, and certainly with programs that, you know, capture a lot of fan attention and, and uh, draw most of the awareness, you know, that, that's what people are going to deem most important and keep their focus on that. And, and we haven't had success, the level of success that we want in, in football in particular recently. But, I, you know, I mean, I also, you know, I've studied our media guide. You know, I haven't been here for every year of, of CSU football, but we've managed to win, uh, have winning seasons about 41% of the history of our program. So it, it's, not a, it's not a newfound issue for us, um, you know, but, and, and when I say that, um, I, I say it because, you know, I, I've been at places that, that, you know, I was a part of Oklahoma when we won a national championship. We won 13 games in a row and it was special. And, and, and uh, you know, before, before that year, the 2000 season, Bob came in in 99, he was seven and five. And before that, um, I think they had multiple seasons of, of three and eight. And, and I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, they, I don't think they ever failed to sell less than 48,000 season tickets for a decade of mediocrity. And, and um, you know, I, I realize I, I've got a role, but everyone has a role. And, you know, if, if we want to push this thing forward, we've got to figure out a way to do it together. And, and I, you know, I might offend people. And I'm sure I'll get emails and you'll, you'll hear from folks that disagree that, you know, you got to win before we'll show up. But, but I've seen other programs that, that have managed, you know, and it's probably unfair to compare, you know, make a comparison right now to Oklahoma football, which has won seven national championships. So, uh, but, but, but I, I believe, you know, that we've got to, you know, care enough about ourselves to, to, to manage through some tough years because uh, fan attendance and presence has impact, right? I mean, we, we, you know, when I was at Texas Tech, um, I was there two or four years, but two seasons were Tuberville and two seasons were Kingsbury. And I think in Tommy's last year, you know, the fan base was, was ornery and angry. And, and uh, we had our recruiting seats right at the 50 yard line on the west side of the stadium. Um, and they're surrounded by, you know, people that are engaged fans. And I was standing on the sideline right in front of that area and thinking, you know, if these people knew who we had on campus this weekend that are trying to make an assessment of whether Texas Tech is where they want to be or not, and to hear what they're saying to the staff and particularly the players on the field, you know, they're not helping the cause, right? So, you know, if, if you want to be, you know, a, a fan that, that's, you know, that's not paying attention and understanding the dynamic of how intercollegiate athletics really works, then, you know, do self-harm, right? Um, or, or jump on board and, and recognize that, you know, you know, I'm never happy with a loss, you know, I mean, it, it, I'm, you know, I'm livid, I'm angry, I'm pissed, but I also know that, 
that, you know, the sun's going to come up the next day and we got to pick ourselves up and move forward. And, and, um, you know, it starts with leadership, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, I, I, I've never shirked my responsibility ever. You know, I mean, I, I recognize that, that I've got a role to serve this institution and it's to get, you know, our programs, all of our programs in a position to be contending for conference championships. Under Armour's uh, been undergoing some major changes. Um, they, they dropped uh, NCAA programs in Cincinnati, UCLA, and Cal, as well as just announcing during, during Super Bowl week that they were dropping the NFL. Um, do we have any current uh, conversations with them about our deal? And do we have a backup plan if they just suddenly drop us like they did those other NCAA programs? They yeah. dropped UCLA flat out, didn't they? And Cincinnati and Cal. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we've got a, a good and a strong working relationship with Under Armour. They've been, you know, really good partners since, since, you know, Jack initially signed them, you know, we did a, a significant um, renewal extension with them. Um, we, we've, we've had conversations, we've turned the page on that deal. Uh, so they're, they're with us. They're, they're, you know, partnered with us. There's no risk of, uh, you know, them turning away. Um, you know, the, the, the terms of the deal are, are, are a little bit different from what they had been because, you know, quite frankly, that, that, that uh, space is, has changed entirely. You know, um, I think it was, there was a, a bubble that built up as it related to, you know, the, those deals. And, and I think their, their decisions as it related to, you know, Cal and UCLA and, and even Cincinnati were, you know, I think they were well above market. Um, and they just realized that, you know, it, it wasn't sustainable and they had to, you know, pull back to conserve resources and make sure that they were in a position to, to weather the challenges that they're facing. Um, you know, they're, they're in a competitive market and a, a, a challenging space. But, you know, having said that, I mean, we, you know, we love the relationship. Um, I think they, they, they build a great product and, and, uh, you know, I think they're a, a brand that we still enjoy, you know, a wonderful association with and, and our kids, are, well, our kids, our students, you know, I think they, they feel good when they put the gear on and, and represent CSU. I, I call them kids all the time and I'm like, it's like they are in their 20s. <laughs> they are young men and women. <laughs> so now I just watched um, our soccer our soccer program playing at Canvas. And I know that you and I had have had conversations about getting more matches in there, but watching it today, um, we wanna know uh, when uh, what's going on with the new women's sports complex for softball and soccer. Yeah, good question. So we were, we were working uh, through the process, trying to get, um, you know, competitive bids in place for for that project, uh, right when everything kind of shut down, um, spring of, of 20. <clears throat> so there's, there's a, a pause on all capital projects across the entire campus right now. Um, we were funding that project through a, a student fee. You know, we'd worked with ASCSU and the student fee board to, to get agreement to, um, continue, extend, uh, um, a fee that had been put in place to help retire some debt on a Moby project. And the students were wonderful, recognized the, the need for, you know, a, a soccer and a softball complex and were agreeable to keeping that in place. And, and they still are. 
Um, so we're, we're banking those monies right now. We're, we've fenced it into a, an account where we can make sure that it's not siphoned off or anything else. <clears throat> you know, as soon as we get to a point where the university is ready to resume capital projects, uh, we'll have to wait until that moment. But the plan had been uh, when the university made another issuance of, of uh, bonds to, to do capital work that we were gonna slide that one into it. So I don't know how to identify, you know, the likely timeline of when we can move uh, back to, you know, bringing that, that project to, to life again. But, you know, we're, we're building a, a war chest, so to speak, of, of funds that will allow us to hopefully hit the ground running when that moment is granted to us. Now, I think there's probably not as many uh, CSU fans out there that are as big into soccer as I am, um, or softball for that matter, for both Joel and I. Can you describe what the uh, complex is, is going to com be comprised of? Yeah, yeah. So you, you know the fence line that contains the, the three, well, two and a half fields that were once um, once our football practice field. Soccer's been over there now, I think, for four years, really since we opened up Canvas. And it's been a great playing surface for them. Uh, Tim, who's our, our grass man, um, you know, uh, he, he's done a really good job with his crew on – upgrading that field. So Coach Hempen's really pleased with the playing of the playing of it. Then, then you also look at where softball is right now. Um, uh, we're going to move softball and pivot it inside the fence line. So uh, the, the first section of the complex closest to field or shields will be the soccer field, just one full regulation field. And then immediately to the east of that will be the softball field um, really set up in the same orientation with home plate kind of at the, the southwest corner of, of the, the site, the footprint for softball. And there'll be one, one entrance. Uh, we wanted one common entrance for both, both facilities and that'll be largely made up by a, a, a building or possibly even two buildings that kind of frame an entrance and those buildings would house locker rooms, just game day locker rooms for teams and officials, uh, restrooms for fans and concessions and some storage. And then, <clears throat> you know, each, each facility would have a press box and each facility would have permanent seating. Um, with soccer, we thought a lot about trying to, you know, berm um, areas up around the field itself. So it'll be, it, you know, hopefully it'll be depressed and um, uh, not from a mental perspective, but rather from you know an elevation perspective. And then uh, softball will be kind of similar. You know, we we want to kind of build a berm that you would walk up to, and then sort of descend down into the seating. And um, and then there there may be between the two facilities kind of a sort of a plaza walkway uh, landscaped area that would connect. Um, uh, north to south, and then that would provide for kind of a, uh, an entrance on the south side of the complex that, that would be maybe open for students that are coming in from the, the, uh, you know, the residence halls on the south side of campus, and then that north entrance would be where most of the fans would, would access the facility, whether we're playing softball or soccer. There'd be field lighting for both programs. And, you know, that would be important, certainly for, for both, you know, night games at a different dynamic and, 
And, um, you know, for softball, you know, in spring play, you know, a lot of times weather delays push, push start times. And so it's good to be able to, you know, illuminate the field so that we can actually get, you know, you know, a complete game in. Um, so that'll, that'll help with, you know, just the, the, you know, the challenges of, of weather and, and what we experience in the spring. So I think that's probably, you know, there'll, there'll be some support facilities uh, for softball. So batting cages, bullpens, um, you know, the, the batting cages, we've talked if, if our funding can stretch far enough, you know, we'd like to maybe kind of create some enclosure, whether it's covered or at least, you know, has, you know, one side or two sides so that, you know, it can at least shield wind from kind of the prevailing wind side. And then there would be a partial practice field for soccer that would uh, be kind of sited right where softball is right now. So we'd scrape, we'd scrape softball and put, put the practice soccer field there. And why that's important, Mike, is that if you ever, if you ever been here when we've had a, a major uh, rain event, there's a, basically a river that runs uh, right down Elizabeth through the parking lot and right across the soccer field. So, you know, the field gets washed out, you know, once every other year or so, you know, where they've got to go back in and do a lot of repair of the warning track and the, the infield. And if it were just a soccer field playing surface, there'd be less, less needs to, you know, repair as water, you know, if water runs across it. So, and then that, that gets both of the, the primary practice and playing fields out of the way of that that river that kind of runs through, you know, down Elizabeth and across the parking lot and, and east towards campus. Now, you, you've, you've kind of alluded to this, but you've absolutely killed it in regards to scheduling uh, for football. Um, we've had home and homes or, or even two for twos with Oregon State, Vandy, Texas Tech, Arizona, even Middle Tennessee State. Um, I'm excited about going to Nashville. Yeah, uh, and then one offs with Iowa, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Texas. Um, what what was the process like for uh, securing all these games? Um, you know, again, kind of goes back to what I had talked about with you know uh, trying to fill voids in the football schedule last year when they came up, and what occurred for basketball. It's it's relationships primarily. Um, you, you know, I, I uh, you know the Texas Tech series, you know, obviously, you know, I came from Texas Tech, you know, Kirby Hocutt's a longtime personal and professional friend. And, and so you just ask about future availability and, and you get mutual agreement, you're able to pin those in, you know, from, from our perspective, <clears throat> if, if it's a A5 school, and they're say their stating capacity is 60,000 or less, that's a good target for a, a home at home, because they're, they're willing to go reciprocity, because, you know, they, they, if it's, if it's greater than 60, you know, when you get 80 or more, it's easier for them to buy a game. They don't want to give up a home game because, you know, uh, a home game means, you know, depending on the program, you know, it can be eight to, you know, 14, $15 million, right? So they, they'd rather peel off, you know, 1.5 and, and get a team to come in. And, you know, uh, schools that have a stadium at 60,000 or less, you know, they, they're, you know, they're not in that tier of revenue generation. So for them, they're, they're fine to, you know, sacrifice a potential home game by taking their team on the road. Um, you know, Michigan, obviously, you know, I'm a, I'm a grad, worked there for eight years, know that staff well. Uh, honestly, that happened 
over a couple phone calls driving up to campus in the morning. You know, they're, you know, I'm, I'm on my way usually by seven o'clock. It's nine o'clock in Ann Arbor, you know, ping Ward on text, you know, get referred to Doug Ganaki, who was our intern when I was there, who's now the chief of staff. You know, Doug, here's what we're thinking about. You guys are probably looking for a guarantee game. What do you want to pay? Here's the date that would work for us. Alliance for us, you know, boom, you know. Uh, Texas, um, you know, Chris Del Conte and I, um, he's, he's our son Will's godfather. Uh, he and I work together at Washington State. We've been friends for, you know, for most of our adult lives and certainly our careers. He's at Texas now as the AD. You know, Chris, you know, here's what we're thinking. What are you thinking? You know, so, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not, there's not that much mystery or magic to it. It just, you know, it's, uh, it's just the way things go. That's good. That's amazing hearing the, the personal stories behind all that. That's awesome. You know, Crystal Conti. So um, Joe, before you were here, I was a, not greatly involved, but I did whatever I could to help push our new stadium efforts along. We were part of this like be bold CSU organization. And uh, we, for Ram nation, we did a couple of uh, like white papers. I did some Q and A's with um, I did one with Bob Kustra from Boise State, who was a former president at Boise State, talked about the importance of, of athletics and the impact it can have on the university. And then, you know, it kind of in support of a new stadium for our campus. And then and he was fantastic talking to him. I talked to him for 45 minutes and he was like, you, this is the best thing you guys could do. Uh, and then I, I also talked to Chris Del Conte when he was at TCU and he said the same thing. Um, and, uh, he was just the most, the gen, you know, genuine, great, very courteous guy just to take the time to talk to little old me and, and talk about CSU football stadium. So that's really cool that he's uh, the godfather to your son. Um, thank you, by the way, for all of these games that you've scheduled, because these are, this is what makes our fall. I mean, we schedule our vacations around this stuff. We, so, so Joel, will you will you feel the same win or lose? You'll still be yes. thanking me. Okay. Uh, I some of my best experiences <laughs> football games have been losses. So yes, going on the road and and experiencing new cultures and new traditions is awesome. I love it. Can't yeah. wait for Iowa. Can't wait for Texas, Michigan, Vandy. Uh, I'm so excited for all these. Um, so thank you. I know it's a lot of work and 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 it's it doesn't go unnoticed. Uh, but sp speaking of scheduling. Um, this someone asked this on Ram Nation, but um, playing Hawaii usually gives you the option of picking up a 13th game. Was there any consideration of that this year? Um, especially one, I mean, for kind of recouping some some revenue losses of last year uh, or this past year. And then, you know, the, the fact that we lost so many games in football last year, was there any consideration adding a 13th game? Uh, not, not much. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, since I've been here, we've put two games into week zero. And if a 13th game would have had to been put into week zero, I don't know if you remember, um, you know, Oregon what, State, what, remember? what's that? Oregon State, that was a Yeah, yeah that, that, that worked out. You know, that, was, that was fine. Um, you know, and then the other game was, was Hawaii. And, and uh, that was the first day that we introduced um, metal detectors at the stadium. And that, that was not our, our uh, most shining moment. And, you know, after we kind of got through that and we really diagnosed some of the issues that kind of created those bottlenecks and concerns, um, 
we, we recognize that week zero, because it's, it's, you know, before we've had a full week of school and, and students aren't really fully engaged in, in our, our uh, partners and game operations, you know, our concessionaire and our, our um, crowd and security management, you know, they aren't, they aren't able to fully staff. And so right now I've got a, uh, I've got a strong aversion to week zero games. I just don't want to put uh, anyone else or, or myself through that moment in time where we fail to deliver and, um, and we make a bad experience. Um, you know, but, but to our credit, you will remember after we had that problem with Hawaii, we, we've self-assessed and corrected and, and we got through it. Um, but, but, you know, I, I don't want to give anyone who comes here to experience CSU football uh, an excuse not to come back um, you know, and that was self-inflicted and that's unacceptable. And, and we owned it, as I said, you know, we own our mistakes and we address them. And, and that was one of those moments where we did and, and our staff responded. And, and so did Landmark, who's our, our partner in that space. And, and, uh, but, but that was really kind of the primary reason, you know, it's, it's, you know, yeah, you could shoehorn in another game. There's, you know, there's financial benefit to that, but, but I also know that, you know, it, it could create some challenges and, and, uh, just didn't think I wanted to do that in 2021. We might might think about it in future years, but not right now. With the CU series done in Denver, um, we played there for what, the last 10 years and then on and off before then. Um, would you potentially ever look at home and homes um, using a, a, a big A5 school in, uh, in Denver as kind of a, as our home game to lure people and make some extra money? Or do you like playing at home? You know, I, I, I love the, the folks in Denver, the Broncos people, um, you know, we're, we're close to them. Uh, it's been a wonderful, incredible relationship. I also recognize that there's a lot of alumni in Denver, but, but, you know, I think about the fact that we invested $220 million in a brand new on-campus stadium that's now four years old. And, and I just, I'm not sure I want to sacrifice an opportunity to host people here in Fort Collins. I mean, this place is special. Um, Canvas Stadium is special. I think the experience that we're building around college football here in Fort Collins, um, you know, can be special. Um, you know, we, we, we've seen what that is like. You know, that first season we sold out um, almost four games, three for sure, Boise State almost. Second season, I think we we're at two, you know, retreated in 19 and then of course you know didn't have an opportunity this year to to test it but but you know I, I want to see us you know I mean it, it if we can consistently get you know 32,000 plus you know averaging over a six game home schedule you know maybe that's a point in which you know you start thinking about opportunities in Denver but I don't I don't know what that really gains us at this point in time yeah except for I live 20 minutes away <laughs> I'm just kidding. Same. <laughs> um, so along those lines, um, and I think I know hey, that. Hey, hey, hey. So not, not, you know, I'm, no, I won't go there. Anyways, I was just going to, Lubbock's on an island, guys. You know, I mean, it takes five hours from anywhere to get there. So you know, I don't miss a, I don't miss a home game. I never. I know. So don't, don't whinge and complain about, you know, the fact that you drive up here. You love this place, right? So I'm up there all I love it, Joe. If you could, you'd live here. I know that. So I was on else, Joe. I learned last fall like fall of twenty nineteen that Odessa, Texas 
is one hour and 45 minutes from Lubbock. Uh, when, I, when I graduated and got my master's degree from uh, University of Texas, uh, Permian, Permian, we flew into yep. Lubbock. Yep, we flew yep. into Lubbock and, and then drove uh, to Odessa and, and back. So, yeah, I know that stretch really well. Sure. I would drive from Parker to Fort Collins any day. <laughs> that stretch right there. Hey, and that's that's just that's that's West Texas driving. I'm talking to get into the Metroplex is five hours, you know, plus. Right. Um, so what did you, you did you get did you get to Midland? You probably didn't get to Midland if you just went to Odessa. No, I did not. So the only thing in Midland is is energy companies and banks. So it's it's a pretty remarkable community. Yeah. Is so I, I know the answer to this, but is there is there any effort, is there any way to reschedule the CU game from this past year that we lost? Um, and if it's not rescheduled, is there any way to renegotiate that CU might come to, to Canvas in 2023 rather than go there? Uh, no. No. Um, that was so, my assumption. So, one of, you know, not that there was many silver linings from what occurred this fall, but we would have owed them a million dollars if they showed up on this campus as a part of the agreement that had put in place. The, I think it was an 11-year agreement. And, and at the end of it, when we did that final game hosted here in Fort Collins, we would have had to stroke a check and hand that over to the Buffs. So I'm not, I'm not interested in trying to pull that game back in any way, shape, or form because their expectation would be is that we hand them a million dollars. And that doesn't feel good to me. So... So I'm I'm willing to do home and homes. Rick is too. Uh, you know we're 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 working on some future series. There there are ways out, but but uh, you know I don't think I don't think we'll ever get back to an every year rhythm. Um, and that's you know I, I'm disappointed about that. You know as you guys pointed out, you know we're just proximity. It makes sense for us. We're we're both FBS programs in the same state. You know the water cooler conversations that occur during that week of play are pretty special. Um, you know, I think it's good for college football, but, but uh, you know, they only get three non-conference games. We get four with the Mountain West scheduling. Uh, you know, I think Rick, from his perspective, and I understand it from his perspective, um, you know, he wants to have a little more flexibility to be creative, you know, so he doesn't want to, you know, always slot us in because that limits, you know, limits him down to two and, and that makes it harder for him to do some of the strategies he wants to put in place for their non-conference schedule what's a what's a full canvas stadium worth to csu on a game day uh, i'd have to take a peek at that um you know it, it roughly two to three million okay yeah yeah you know i mean and you know and it, it depends on per caps and yeah you know um from concessions and both the store sales and uh you know, season tickets are at a discount. So even though I'd love, I'd love to be sold on on a season basis, you know, you, you give up money because you know individual game prices don't don't get the the discount that season ticket holders do. So I'll turn it on you guys. I've asked you guys this so many times before, but but how do we how do we fill it up? You know, I mean, if 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 it was your responsibility, Mike, and your responsibility, Joel, you guys are are co-chairing the 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 fan attendance model at Canvas Stadium. What would you do to fill it up? And don't say free tickets because that's that's not ever going to work. But yeah, you know, it's it's always been a problem. Even in the '90s when we were rolling, in the early 2000s, 
I mean, we'd still have games where we'd have 20, 22,000 fans. And obviously the big games, huge sellouts and all that. Um, man, I mean, we always rack our brains trying to get people to come up um, with us. So, I mean, it's a great question. <laughs> Joe, I mean, you, you guys have done, the university has done an outstanding job as far as creating a, a, a pregame experience. I think the game day experience on campus is, is top notch. It's a matter of getting more numbers. It's a matter of people realizing that in, in coming and finding all the activities that are going on, the bands that are playing the night before and um, those kind of things. Everything is top notch. I, I could not be more ecstatic about the move from Hughes to Canvas and what it relates to on, on campus experience on game day. Winning obviously is going to help a lot, Joe, when you know that um, having, having not just winning, but having sustained winning, having tradition. Um, I will tell you this story in 1994, Sonny Lubick had what I think is the best season ever. Mike will debate that and say, 1997 was the best, but um we we had prob the most entertaining brand of football, hard-nosed defense, stars on offense, stars on defense. And um, we had just beat Wyoming to basically clinch the, uh, the Mount West championship. And the following week, we had this one-off game against Arkansas State. And we had had, in all those big games, we had full stadium and then some. We had – they brought in – additional bleachers yeah they brought in temporary bleachers then we played arkansas state out of nowhere like in the second last game of the year or something like that i can't remember what week it fell in but it was real late in the season and meant nothing we had like fourteen thousand people there and i was like this is just this is just a university and a fan base that just is not there yet and we're just you know it was cool when we were playing these big teams we're playing wyoming we had utah come to town all these big games and then you play this Arkansas State that doesn't mean anything, and you have half the crowd. It's a tr we need tradition, we need consistency, we need you know we need we need constant winning. And I think that's there's just a lot of options here in in sports in Colorado for people to to pick. And um, there's a lot of transplants here, and we need people that not, aren't necessarily alumni to come partake in game day and experience how great it is. But I think, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with what's going on on game day. I, I think that the operations in the stadium, I think the pregame is fantastic. Um, it's just we've got to give a product on the field that, that is like we are here in the stands because we want to defend our home turf and we want to get loud and we want people to win. And that's just contagious. So that's that's really what it comes down to joe and, and quite honestly in in this state it's it's a it's a matter of sustained tradition and sustained winning um so i that's that's my that's my response and that's not a good one but that's what i think i i, I will say i really like what you did going into the 2020 football season with the with the south end zone uh ticket pricing and and the all inclusive, like an all inclusive package, you can get exactly. food and, and, and yeah. stuff that you got with it. Um, yep. I know you and I have talked about English soccer before. Um, 
and you know, I'm a, I'm a part of, of the Colorado Rapids supporters group um, was on, was on their, their board for a minute. And, and some of the things that we did trying to get fan involvement um, out at Dick's Sporting Goods, I know, I mean, you, you said it, if, if, if there's people that aren't showing up, there's things that you just can't do. You know, I, we look at Darby County, which, you know, your friend owned, yep. <laughs> you see the owner of, of Darby County, and, and they have a tiered pricing system based on age, but there's a demand for that there. We can't do that because we don't have, we don't have that demand. So you can say, okay, out of 55 and, and older age group, your tickets are this when we don't know if there'll even be people that would, would want that, that would meet that. Yeah. So I do really appreciate what you did in, in the South end zone. I think that's, I think that's really strong and I think that's a good, uh, good step. And I know I talked to, uh, when we met with Chris Ferris, uh, oh man, it would have been 2019, yep. um, <laughs> forever ago. And, uh, and one of the things I, I brought to him was as a season ticket holder for the Rapids, we have, we have certain, we have a, a, a card or a lanyard where we get discounted prices uh, at concessions. Um, they have $5 beers. They're a little bit smaller um, than a normal beer, but you know, you're like, Oh, it's $5. You have a, a different mindset, like dollar waters, things like that. And you know, being an elementary school teacher, I, I, there's a lot of families at my school that go, and that's one of the things that they have talked about with me is, is you know, we like, as a season ticket holder, we get, we get some minor perks. Now, yeah, that's maybe $10 a game difference for them, but, you know, when you got a family of four, that's, that's, that could be $40, uh, a $40 savings on a game, uh, but it makes them want to keep going and going and going, so I mean, little things, stuff that you've already been doing, like Joel said, the game day experience is, is top notch. You know, I brought friends from that are fans of other schools and they love, they love the atmosphere, especially when it is full. So State fans raved about their experience here. And that was our first game ever there. Right. I mean, we, we didn't even figure things out with concessions. <laughs> concessions were a disaster that day. It was, it was freaking hotter than Hades that day, but um, Arkansas fans loved it. I mean, we yeah. came, we we became friends with like five or six Arkansas fans just walking back to our RV after the game, and they were just like, "Oh, we loved your stadium. Your stadium's beautiful. You know, the game day experience was just awesome." They're like, uh, "Get in touch with us when you come back. Come out to Fayetteville in '19." And we, and we did. I mean, it was a great time there too. Uh, but again, I do appreciate the game day experience you've you've done as a staff has done a great job and, and you keep improving that almost almost on a game day basis yeah it just gets better and better and and again what you're doing in the south end zone is is i think that's going to start paying off more and more and more especially with young alum or even older alum that you know want to save a few dollars and and maybe give tickets away i know joel bought extra that he gives to friends that well that he was going to give to friends uh last right um, so the other thing that I would say about that, Joe, is that the students are the lifeblood of the, the stadium. Yeah. I mean, 
whatever investment that can be made to make sure that we get as many students there as possible. Because one, it, it gives energy to the stadium. And two, those are the people that if you can get there and enjoy their experience, obviously when they graduate, there's the people, those are the people you're trying to target to become season ticket holders down the road. Uh, but when I look, when I'm sitting in my seat and I love my seats and I'm looking over and I see 50% capacity for the students and there's just lack of energy. Um, that's that, I think that's the low hanging fruit. I mean, these guys are right on campus. It takes them five minutes to walk from their dorm or wherever to get to campus. Um, whatever can possibly be done to make sure those, those people are getting there. Um, and I know you guys, rack, yeah. you guys are all over it, but it's, it's, just, it's, it's, this is nothing new to your administration. This has been going on for a long time, but students, yeah. I think, man, yeah. if you can get them, it's, this is where we're going to continue to grow. Well, so, I have other ADs said about uh, like students, you know, you hear Saban's ripping on yeah. Bama students nonstop because they either don't show up until the second quarter or they leave at halftime or they don't show up. You know, I, I usually go to a game in Wisconsin every year and, those students don't get in their seats until the second quarter. And yeah. then they generally leave after jump around. I mean, it's, it, yeah. it, I don't, it's, it's not a CSU specific. No, no, it's not, you know, but I, I just, you know, I just, I think about, you know, the numbers game, you know, 33,000 students and we're allocating 10,000 seats. You know, it seems like one in three, you could get to, you know, or one in two and a half or one in two, you know, I mean, we, we average a little under 7,000. Um, you know, but, and that's even fact that well, trying to get that factors in the, the fall break game or not, but, you know, I mean, we've, we've diagnosed that, you know, I mean, students are where it begins, you know, they, they you're right. They create the environment and the energy and, and they're, they make it fun. You know, that's a dynamic that a pro organization doesn't have, you know, they don't have, you know, that thousands of 18 to 22 year olds that are in there. Um, you know, we, we've, we've looked long and hard at building, you know, relationships and are continuing to do so with the, you know, the Greek society, um, you know, because they, they're, you know, they're, they're kind of, they, they're wired that way anyways, you know, so if we can get them to sort of show up in groups, that's, that's a positive thing for us. So Chris, you know, and, and I think we've got, we've got, you know, in, in men's, women's and, and football, men and women's basketball and football, you know, we've got the right coaches that want to engage with students too. You know, Nico, you know, pre-COVID was, you know, really active, you know, um, in the West, West, Western neighborhoods. Um, Coach Adazio had a whole plan in place that, that he was going to energize and activate with his entire staff, not just him. Um, so we'll get there. We talked about this as a staff a few days ago. Um, next year, you know, when we open up, there will be two classes of Rams that have never seen a football game, the, the second year students and the, the newly minted first year students. So, you know, we, we've kind of, you know, you know, hopefully, hopefully there's pent up interest and, and they want to come in full force. But, you know, the flip side of that is, is that, you know, have they forgotten their way to Canvas Stadium? I don't know. They've never been shown the way to Canvas Stadium for those two classes. So, um, you know, and I always appreciate you guys advocating and, and, you know, being great ambassadors. And, you know, I think if we all do that together, you know, I, I, Chris, you know, I, I always want to shame, but I, I know that's not a strategy, you know, I mean, that's not going to work, you know, I mean, my role is not to make people feel bad about not showing up. I mean, but, you know, I, I just, 
I see our potential. I feel our potential. I, I, I just think that we've got things here that no one else can replicate. And I want to take advantage of it. And I want others to see what, what we can be. And it's just like, you know, just try it for one year. Yeah. Come for every game. Win or lose, come for every game, you know. Even in the disappointments, show up. And I, I guarantee you it will help establish a foundation that we will build upon, you know. So, so I don't know. I wish I could have a conversation with everyone that has any kind of inkling to be a Ram fan, um, you know, but that's, that's just hard to do. Um, but, you know, I mean. That's you know. one thing that's great about you, Joe, is that uh, you always welcome the phone call and you're willing to talk to anybody. So um, if, if any of you out there are listening to this and you ever had a question or a criticism or a concern, Joe will take your phone call, I promise you, or an email, he will get back to you. He never has failed me. And I know that uh, other people share that. Um, Joe, I, I know we're running pretty long, I, but I, and I still have a lot of stuff I would love to talk about. So I want to kind of get more rapid fire here, but I do want to ask you about Nico. And he's, he's obviously, he is a gem to this university, an amazing hire, what a great job by you to identify that and bring him aboard. But he's a guy that he's showing already that he can build this program into unprecedented levels for years to come. But he's from the state of Minnesota. He went to the University of Minnesota. If, if Richard Patino was fired this year, which is a good possibility, Nico is probably going to be on their short list. And um, if they don't lure him away, you know, and the Rams continue to have success, certainly other suitors are going to come along what preemptive steps can you do to do everything possible to keep him here? And that's just, I mean, that's a, a thing with an, as an athletic director that you have to go through that when you have a successful asset, how do you keep them? Yeah. Um, you know, that, that therein lies the challenge of, of being, um, you know, a group of five school or, you know, quite frankly, a school that's, you know, if you're, if you're not in the top 10% of FBS football, you know, with revenue levels that, 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 you know, that you can do whatever you want to retain staff and talent, you know, you're always going to be the place where people go to solve their problem. And, um, but, but, you know, what, what can we do? Um, you know, I think Nico, Nico loves Fort Collins. Erica loves Fort Collins. I don't think that, you know, I, I think he knows that, you know, he's going to have a long career in college basketball. And, uh, you know, if we can keep him here, you know, as long as possible to, to help build our program, then, you know, I don't want to think about this day, but, um, you know, the stronger our program is, the stronger the candidate pool is for the next time that you're trying to identify and find talent. And, um, you know, if we can get to that point where, you know, we've, we've hit sustained success across, you know, multiple programs, particularly football, men's basketball, then, then it just makes it easier to maintain sustained success, even with transition. Um, but, you know, I, I, I there, there, you know, if, if, if something occurs in the off season this year that, that, uh, you know, a school like Minnesota or something else decides that Nico is the answer, it's going to be hard for us to, to make that adjustment, um, you know, so I, I like to think happier thoughts than, than I'm thinking right now, guys. But, um, you know, I, 
you know, Nico and I are very like-minded. I think we're aligned. We, we want the same things for this place. Um, you know, I, I knew that when I met him, um, you know, I, I, I love the, the focus of his recruiting. It's on four-year students. You know, he doesn't even have anyone in the senior class this year. Um, you know, when he, when he looks at transfer options, it's, it's not junior college, but it's 4-4 transfers, which I think is, is a much healthier place to, to go. Um, you know, he loves this team. This team loves him. They love playing together. You know, is, is, that, is that bond enough to kind of keep focus if something happens at some of the places that you mentioned? You know, I'm hopeful. Um, but, but, you know, that, that's what I said when I, when I say it, it, everyone plays a role in this, right? You know, I mean, coaches want full venues. Coaches want to be able to share that with, with uh, you know, pr prospects. They want to feel that energy when they walk onto the court to coach a team. Um, you know, so we're all in it together, folks. And, uh, you know, so, so uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I want nothing but great things for CSU and, and uh, you know, we're, we're, we're working, working every day to, to bring that to fruition and make it happen. You know, it's funny you mentioned that about coaches wanting full venues. One of the first things that actually was during the scrimmage, the we had a scrimmage, a basketball scrimmage on the, the same day as a spring game. Was it two years ago now? And Nico had mentioned to me off the cuff, he's like, um, from the previous year, he's like, yeah, just wondering what, what happened to our fan base? Because <laughs> when he was here, things were really good under Tim Miles. And the, the Moby was packed every game. And, and that's what he remembered. And he just was surprised with how slow it, you know, it took for fans to come along as they started winning. Um, and, um, you know, I, I really think that fans are just chomping at the bit to get to Moby. So um, I'm hoping he sees the fruits of his labor um, next year. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that's one of the tragedies of this year. You know, imagine if, if we'd had the building open, you know, and, and you know, and that's no fault of anyone's, right? I mean, right. we're in a global pandemic, so we've, we've made the right choices. But, but, you know, just imagine if, if, you know, our season ticket holders were rewarded with this kind of season, people in the community had access to come in and experience it, you know, uh, the, the FBNO loft, you know, yeah. Oh, hey, not, oh, I'll leave it be. Yeah, yeah I know what you're going to say. <laughs> you're going to talk about the white picket fence, aren't you? No, I'm not. You said it, so I don't have to. Thank you. <laughs> I know it's been stuck in your craw, but. Uh, you know, I, we, I actually talked about that on, on our podcast on Tuesday with Coach, Coach Blunt. Like, how amazing it would have been to grow with this team. You know, this year, I, I, I could have seen like our, you know, our normal two or 3,000 to start the year. But man, last Saturday and on Monday would have been rocking with, with Air Force in town and then with New Mexico on Wednesday and needing those wins. I, I mean, that's, those are close to sell out games. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's tough that, especially since everyone's always saying, you know, we need to win, we need to win before we start coming. Well, <laughs> man. We're yeah. winning, and it, and it feels good yeah. um, this year. Tell, tell everyone to act on those feelings right now. We're, we're selling season tickets for the upcoming academic year, so they can they can secure their spot in right. right now. You know, help us claw out of this uh, 
financial chasm, you know, it, it's, you know, we right, lost, so I want to ask eight, you, Joe, we lost $18 million in revenue this year, guys. I was so. just about to ask you that. I was, what, what was the financial impact of no football and basketball fans? Um, yeah, yeah, probably, probably about $18 million. And, and, and uh, you know, I mean, you know, so not to go too deep, but I will, I mean, it's worth the explanation. So we, we run two different financial organizations. One is in the university accounting system. One is the department itself and one is Canvas Stadium. And that was intentional when we launched Canvas Stadium because, you know, they, they, we just wanted to prove that we weren't, you know, there weren't any direct institutional support, you know, funds that were paying the bond and that, you know, student fees weren't paying the bond. So, so we flow in, in Canvas Stadium, that financial entity, we flow all the football revenues into it. Ticket sales, gifts associated with priority and premium seating, our multimedia rights agreement with Learfield because most of that is leveraged off of, you know, the, the football sponsorships. Uh, concession sales, special events. Um, uh, uh, you know, we, we signed a new t TV deal in the Mountain West, so the incremental growth in that deal is going into the Canvas Stadium P&L. And then, and then we, we take out, we, we minus every expense associated with operating the building and game operations. And, you know, fortunately in the first three years of operations, you know, we, we were able to um, and then we send money back to, to our, the, the entity that's a department. So we looked at what the net was from um, a certain period of time at Hughes and ended up being like $3.6 million. So we flow $3.6 back into the department account. And the department account is basically everything else, right? So our conference distribution for basketball and, and, uh, and you know, football and the CFP and, um, ticket sales at, at, at uh, uh, Moby and concession sales and then uh, contributions unassociated with football. And then, and then the big expenses, biggest is our, our compensation and benefits for staff. Second biggest is our financial aid for students. It's about 16 million for staff comp, comp <clears throat> and about 9 million, almost 10 million for uh, student athlete uh, financial support. Um, and then the other big chunk of revenues that goes in is direct institutional support, which is, you know, 16 to $21 million, depending on the year and, um, and uh, student fees, which is 6 million. In the case of this year, it'll be, we're, we're, we budgeted 5 million. So what we were able to do over on the canvas side is 75% um, of that budget is debt service would have been this year with a $12 million debt service payment. But the systems office and President McConnell worked on a on a on a program with our bondholders, not just in athletics for those for those revenue bonds that funded Canvas Stadium, but the entire um, capital work that's been done that still have act, act, active bond issues. And they're doing a scoop and toss, so they're taking the majority of what would have been a payment due in this year and they're putting it into future years. So we went from what would have been twelve million dollars to a little less than two million dollars. Wow. So. So that's, that's what's allowing us to kind of bridge through this, survive. Um, but, you know, we've got to be back to, you know, more normalized operations and people have to respond. And hopefully they do. You know, I don't know what people's attitudes will be, you know, about gathering in place and wanting to come uh, watch sporting events. But, but hopefully, you know, hopefully they are vaccinated and they overcome concerns and they, they show up in full force. I hope so, Joe. Um, one more question related to, to the finances. One of the nice things for student athletes and us fans is that 
the student athletes that we cheer for don't have to lose a year of eligibility for participating in the 2021 season. But obviously that poses some major financial challenges for you in, in all athletic departments across the country, particularly coming off a year with lost revenues. Do we have the money? How do we, how do we handle covering the cost of these additional um, scholarships and, in, you know, we're already seeing it play out in football. We had a lot of seniors opt to return. Yeah. Is it on an invitational only basis, case by case basis, or uh... you know, I mean, Co- Steve has done a really, really, you know, and and here's another tragedy of this year. Do you know? Do you know? Coach has not attended in 1870. He's not been been to President Scala. You know, I mean, that those opportunities for our fans to learn who he is as a person have been almost entirely stripped away. You know, we were able to do radio shows this year and he's done. Cherry Hills, he did Cherry Hills. That was good. Yeah, that was one. But, you know, I mean, just imagine if he had a compromised year and, you know, I mean, he's fun. His staff is fun. I mean, mm-hmm. they have energy. They, they, they just, you know, I get to experience it, but, you know, I mean, it, it, it you know, it's like we've, we haven't been able to share it this year. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but anyways, you know, he, he's, you know, he's a ball coach and he loves kids and he loves teaching through the experience of that sport. And he's, you know, he's had conversations with every roster member about what their expectations should be. And, you know, we, we've had some students that once they heard, you know, what, what the plan might be for them specifically, you know, they just decided that, you know, if, if they can exercise that extra year, they didn't want to do it here at CSU. And, and, um, you know, you know, I, you know, I think they've, they've, you know, some have just decided that, you know, I, I want to turn the page and get on with life, you know, a, a, a fifth year, you know, now that I have my degree doesn't make sense. So, you know, it, it's, it's kind of sort of balancing out. I think it's going to, you know, I don't think we're going to be stuck in a hard place where, you know, where we've, we've got 85 scholarships to give and we've got, you know, 92 kids that we want to give them to, um, so, you know, I think, I think it's going to work, um, you know, but all of our coaches have had those type of conversations. And, and I think for students that, that uh, you know, are willing to accept their role and, and certainly those kids that are, you know, very likely to be part of the two deep in football, you know, they've, they've raised their hands. Uh, the coaching staff has affirmed, you know, the position that they have on the team and they've, they're all in, right? So, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's complex sometimes, but I, I think Steve's done a really nice job in, in managing those conversations and ultimately, you know, navigating through it. With, with all the financial impact that, you know, you just talked about, have we looked into naming rights for Moby? Is that something that, that we're interested in as an institution or do we appreciate, you know, what Moby brings and the whole, the reason why it was named Moby, or is there just not much interest? I mean, you, you know, you look at, you look at the Broncos, it took them over two years to get naming rights for sports authority, whatever it is, empower field yeah. now. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, we're open to any conversation, you know, sometimes those conversations flow easier than others and, 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 Hey, Joe, RamNation.com Arena has a great ring to it. Have your lawyer call mine. <laughs> I like that idea. Yeah, that's probably yeah. a stall in one of the bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. 
that's what I could afford. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So just uh, if we can go like, so we, we asked some people on Ram, we asked Ram Nation, any, any questions? So we'll go kind of a rapid fire here. I don't, you know, need to go to super depth with any of these and we'll wrap it up. Um, really appreciate you, Joe. Um, did the league do everything in your mind or was there a way that, and, and the reason I bring this up, and this was a, actually a question from someone else, but Leon Rice from Boise State had suggested this, but he had suggested that we don't invite everybody to the conference tournament, cut it down to eight or whatever it may be, or six, and um, eliminate the number of rounds, eliminate the number of exposure to other players. Um, but you know, in this person pointed out that the West Coast Conference, the top two seeds in that tourney, Gonzaga and BYU, would only have to play two games to, to win the championship. Did the Mountain, do you like the way the Mountain West just said, hey, let's have everybody come back. Let's do it the way we always have. Um, are you happy with that? Do you think it was smart? Yeah, for, for about three years, we thought about, you know, reducing the participants in the conference tournament. Um, you know, in a non-COVID year, kind of the decision landed with, um, you know, ultimately the, the presidents. And, and I think the decision was is that they – you know, they felt better about bringing 11 teams in, even though that was additional expenses. Um, you know, it, it, it gave uh, an opportunity to, to students to participate and experience uh, a conference tournament. Um, you know, this year we, you know, it, it was a discussion item for uh, a while early on. I mean, we started, you know, shoot, if you remember April is when we, you know, when we started to really absorbing you know what the impacts could potentially be and we ramped up our conference meetings ad meetings with the staff to two a week and it's been that rhythm ever since um so it it was vetted it was discussed and and you know ultimately you know you gotta you gotta make commitments you gotta buy tickets you gotta secure lodging and it just you know the you know it didn't it didn't see see the benefits of reducing the field to to really be any kind of a relative payback on the expense piece for the, the tournament itself. So, um, you know, and, and we'll, you know, I mean, you can always second guess any decision. So was it the right one? Um, we'll see. Uh, comparing the Mountain West and just getting your impressions here, Mountain West versus the AAC, we're pretty, they're pretty like-minded peer conferences. I think historically the Mountain West has been the top Autonomous, what do you call it? the non-autonomous five, the autonomous five or the six or whatever? What are we, what are we calling ourselves? We're group of five. We're group, group of five. Yep. Okay. But you had something else. I, you always call them something else, like non-autonomous. Oh, oh them, them, them. Oh, they're the autonomous five. Yeah. We're the autonomous five. We're the group of five. Yeah. Power five, autonomous five. So right. autonomy, they, they, they asked for, I don't know what it, what it was, six years, seven years ago. They asked for autonomy, a breakaway from um, everyone else to, you know, for a bucket of, kind of legislative decisions so that's why they're called the autonomous five got it got it okay <laughs> all right because i try to avoid calling the power five when possible because it's all a bunch of crap but um so the aac in the mountain west um i think very level playing field they've had some good success lately on the field on the court and then they've got this power six campaign um that i think has gotten them some attention but um do you like what would you like to see from the Mount West to kind of relate to that to kind of 
align with that in, is there anything in particular over the next few years that you would like to see from the Mountain West as far as taking those next steps? Winning. Across the board. The answer, that, that is the answer. You know, I mean, you know, you know, I, Craig, Craig Thompson takes a lot of grief from every fan base, it seems, you know, they all, you know, they all hang, get hung up on, you know, his role, his responsibility. But I mean, Craig, Craig can, he'll sell what sells, right? I mean, so that's up to every one of us as a member institution to find a way forward that, that, you know, that makes us distinctive in the way that we represent ourselves on the field of play. You know, I mean, you know, if we've got multiple teams in football, that are vying for, you know, a spot in a, in a New Year's six bowl, you know, I mean, unquestionably his job becomes easier the lens at his back and he can start proclaiming and saying things that, that are represented by, you know, the actions and, and outcomes that we're taking when we compete. Um, same thing for men's basketball. So, you know, so for people to, to, you know, throw it all at his feet and say, you know, what's going on. It's, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's all of us, you know, we've got to step up and give him opportunities to, to, you know, stand on his, his bully pulpit and say all the positive things he wants. But, you know, I mean, we represent ourselves well, you know, when you look at the, the analytics of performance, you know, we're, you know, depending on any given year, we're right there with, you know, the, the AAC. So, you know, I, you know, I don't know, was it right for Mike Oresco to come up with this concept of the power six and talk about it and say, but, you know, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure it's gaining the kind of traction that they were hopeful of. I mean, you know, yeah, it, you know, and ultimately, you know, you know, it's presidents that are going to invite anyone into the next, you know, that next level, you know, whether it's an entire, group of schools, you know, whether it's, you know, or, or it's select schools within, you know, this, this subset of F FBS football. So the, uh, the whole conference realignment stuff that was going on, especially particularly with the big 12, um, where they were evaluating candidates, did you, what was the feedback, if any, that you received from that? And, you know, how much went into on our end, the positioning for CSU for those vacancies? I mean, I, I personally believe, I'm sure you do, that we need to make sure that we're doing our part to make our own conference better at the moment. But of course, we're all looking, you know, at opportunities, if it's going to mean millions of more dollars per year, um, to, to better our position. Um, yeah. Do you envision realignment any, happening anytime soon? And, and where do you think we came in when in, through all that evaluation? Yeah. So that, that, that process, it was summer of 2016, um, you know, in the broadcasting contract that the Big 12 is stroked with um, with their broadcasting partners. It provided for a pro rata share of, of, of uh, 20, you know, 25, it was 25 million at the time for up to four new members. And, uh, you know, that, that was a motivation. So that was the same year that the Big 12 had, had gotten the modification on, on what was required to host a championship game. You know, they didn't have to have two divisional champs playing each other in a, you know, in a championship game. So, so they were structuring how they were going to identify the two teams to play. And they were trying to have conversations with their broadcasting partners about the value of that game. And I don't, you know, I don't know for sure, but you know, I, I think I know the economics of college athletics well enough. Uh, you know, Bob Bowlesby's, you know, been a long time acquaintance friend, whatever. Um, 
you know, Tim Weiser had been once our athletics director here. You know, I've known Tim for a long time. Um, but I think they were trying to leverage that discussion, that negotiation. So uh, I think the way that they did that was they held basically, you know, um, that clause uh, a little bit over the heads of the people they're negotiating with. You know, you, you know, we can force you to spend 50 to 25 or 50 to hundred million dollars, or you can address the economics that we're looking for, for our championship game. And so they went through their process and it was a great, you know, glad to have been participating. If you recall, uh, any school that submitted a letter of interest uh, of which there was 21 got basically an interview. Um, and then they narrowed the field from 21 to 11, I think. And those of us that were part of that 11 of which we were, we were invited to Grapevine, Texas for another meeting with the same kind of people at the table. First meeting was virtual, second meeting was, was in person. And we all made our pitch. And at that point in time, they, they shut the discussion down. You know, I think they had advanced the dialogue enough with the TV partners to get, you know, better looking financials for their championship game. And then I think that clause that, that provided for the pro rata shares yeah. uh, was scripted out. So, you know, as far as I know, there's not a financial incentive for them to grow at this moment. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll see what the future holds. You know, I mean, what, what I've said from the very beginning is, you know, we need, to, we need to be prepared to have the conversation when we're invited into that discussion. And, you know, they were, they, they love the profile of CSU as a tier one research institution. The strength of our academy looks very much like a Big 12 school. You know, we, we outperform probably the lower third of the Big 12 schools right now. So, you know, in, in research dollars that are attracted to this campus, you know, the kind of things that are happening within the academy at this institution, um, you know, and then, you know, they like to evaluate the overall performance of the athletic department. You know, we've got strength in certain areas. We've been underperforming in, in the football space and men's basketball space, particularly at that time. Um, you know, so it, it, you know, we got to help ourselves, but they, they wanted to see every, every bit of our numbers. I mean, they wanted to understand social media engagement for our programs. They wanted to understand our attendance model, you know? So when I say we're all in this together, I literally mean we are all in this together, you know, go look at, at what Wyoming has as far as social media followings on their platforms and look at where we're at. And when I say we're all in it together, we have to be all in it together. And I don't know how you get people to get energized and follow, but you know, they're, you know, there's more antelope in Wyoming than there are people. Right. I mean, I, I hear, you know, I hear them, I hear, you know, people from Wyoming talk about that and, you know, and we, we sit, you know, you sit in a Metroplex, it's got 6 million people ish. Right. And, you know, 60,000 alumni, you know, so we're all in it together, folks. So when we're invited to that conversation, you know, I hope we can, you know, have the strongest story possible to tell. All right. Keep these responses to like one minute tops. <laughs> Sorry. It's hard though, Joel, you know. I mean, I'll sit here all night, but I want to, you got to go on to, to Miss Jen. She's yeah. for you. So, um, Moby, it's uh, it's really dialed in. It's beautiful. Um, you just got the FBNO off, which looks fantastic. Can't wait to go have a beer in it. Um, way better than the White Fence Farms that it used to be. And that was never my comment. Don't quit pointing that at me. I never said that. 
Um, but um, are there any uh, anything in the future that that we have on the books that says we want to up, upgrade anything in there? Box seating, locker rooms, anything? Uh, locker rooms, most definitely. Yeah, and that that was another uh, you know put on pause because of COVID. Um, you know, so we, we, you know, we were tracking on a $7 million project to develop uh, locker rooms for both men and women's basketball and a new, new nutrition center for all the programs in Moby that would have been sort of probably carved out of space that's in the, you know, where the football locker room used to be. Um, and, and we're hopeful that, you know, when we, when we turn the page and we're moving forward that we can re-energize that project and get it going and we weren't that far away from activating it. So hopefully, hopefully we'll be at a point where we can do it. That's, that's something that Nico wants and Ryan wants and, you know, and, and, and where the footprint for that would be on the, the north side of the court level where the old strength conditioning for football is located. That's, that's perfect space. We can almost triple the size of each locker room and, wow. and the design was going to be remarkable and amazing and put us, put us on par with anyone, certainly in, in the Mountain West and probably anyone in the group of five and, and likely rival some of that autonomous five group that I was talking about. Well, if you, if, if, uh, when, when our hardwood reaches its end of life, you should follow, uh, at Green Acre on. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen Ben's work. I like it. I like it. Nice, isn't it? Right. Yes. Yeah. I don't know what his deal is, but he's got some good ideas. Yep. Um, Yep. And you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, I think we're looking for a refresh redesign. You know, we want to, we want to pull out all the positive elements and, and sort of update the look when we get that chance. Uh, Last question, um, I really minuscule, like irrelevant question, but I've, I've had it from a lot of people. Why no cardboard cutouts at Moby this year? Um, our, our staff has been doing a lot of things to, to tell the story, to engage fans. Um, you know, we, we actually, we, we didn't have too much discussion about it, uh, but it, 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 uh, it sounds easy and it does hard, right? I mean, so there would have been a lot of heavy lifting to, to you know, recognize not much yield. Um, so blame me for that. You know, if you need to point fingers and be upset, um, Joel, you send me a cutout, I'll, I'll, I would, you know, I'd put it in there right now today if you want me to do it. You know. I got my Wisconsin one right here, so I can bring that up if needed. Yeah, but but uh, you know to to put that that into the workflow of our creative team, I think just would have been hard. Yeah. Well, so I'm going to ask one more question, and and Joel, you can uh, see if that's this could be the last one. This last 12 months of I'll, has sucked. <laughs> you know, not going to sugarcoat it. It's been bad. Um, what are the positives? I mean, I see a lot of them, but on your end, like what, are, what, what's the great stories that you have for uh, CSU athletics? Yeah. The, the resiliency of our student athletes, that 97% that raised their hand and said, we want to compete on behalf of, you know, for CSU. Um, I think that's amazing. You know, I, I, you know, they, they, you know, and, and it, you know, and then our staff, um, you know, proud of the way that our staff has responded. Um, you know, have to talk about our fans too, uh, Mike. You know, we, we did great with those cam calls, you know, trying to 
encourage people to keep money engaged within the department, uh, either converting it to 100% gift or, or putting it in a ticket bank for, for a future season. And, and we were able to preserve, you know, I think over $4 million by doing that. Um, that was significant for us. And, and just, you know, I mean, um, you know, I, I, I love it when people, you know, I mean, not, not that I need anyone to boost me up, but, you know, I really appreciate it when I've heard um, from people that have just said, listen, I know it's a struggle this year and we appreciate everything that, that's being done to, you know, create an experience for student athletes. Um, gotten a lot of good feedback from parents. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I just, and, and what I said from the very beginning when, when we kind of flipped to virtual, and I know I can't answer anything in one minute, I'm sorry, Joel. Um, but, you know, I, I said to the staff and I've continually to say to the staff, I, I wanna, we gotta get to the other side of this, right? And we have to get to the other side in a way that we bring as many people forward. Um, you know, I don't wanna create self-harm you know, I want us to be able to emerge from this in a better position, more ready, more prepared than any other school in the Mountain West for sure. And, and I think we're close to being able to say that we're ready to do that. And that feels pretty good to me. Joe, we've gone almost a couple hours and uh, I've always loved talking with you first class all the way and uh, appreciate the way that you communicate it, appreciate the way you talk with with fans and alumni like ourselves and um, appreciate you. And um, two hours in, I just want to make this suggestion to you guys who are listening on our podcast. There's a little button on, if you're like on one of the, you know, any of the podcast platforms, you can like speed up the play. Like if you notch this up to like two times the speed, you can cut it down by half. So uh, this near two hour podcast could be only an hour if you really do it right. So uh, anyway, um, Joe, thanks so much, bud. Really appreciate you. You bet. Thanks. Joe, uh, Joe uh, Tracy told me to tell you and Jen, hello. Thank you. And I just want to tell you how amazing Jen is with our daughter. Like the last, gosh, it's been over a year, but every time, every time we whether it's at the Rockies game or, or uh, any of the pep rallies down here, she has just been, amazing with willow and i can't even tell you how much that means to us um we definitely miss you i mean i miss talking and seeing with seeing you at, at games and and all that so thank you so much for being on with us it's, yeah. it's truly an honor and and we really appreciate it you bet guys um you know i i, I for sure outkicked my coverage i'm so fortunate to be married to the woman that i am but you know, that's getting a little too personal, but Hey, anytime you guys want me, you, you know, I'm here, I'm available. Um, love to make this more routine. Sorry. We haven't gotten in a, I think this is my first time on. So I'm embarrassed to say that, you know, I'm six years in and this is the first time that we've we haven't, on. we've only been doing this since April. We, oh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we did it, we did it long ago, but we revived it in April when during the pandemic. So, all right. So we're, we're, we really appreciate it. And what might be cool down the road is uh, maybe doing kind of a, a allowing people to uh, to join us in this is kind of a, an audience or maybe doing it in person here soon. That would be awesome. So we'll talk to you about that. Thanks. Okay. Joe. Yep. You bet. All right. Thanks so much, Joe, for taking the time. Let's get a pair of wins tonight. Got the, the we started this an hour before tip off in the women's game and, and they're, they're down here in the third quarter. Uh, but hopefully both our men and women's can make a run here uh, into the, Mountain West tournament and into the NCAA tournament. So thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Joe. 
everybody have a great weekend and let's go Rams. Go Rams. <laughs>